0: need um to eat fruit and of course the teeth and the jaws are just the first half of that right the other thing we're going to start to you know to look at soon is what are the adaptations of the gut for trying to digest that
1: stuff that's a that's a whole nother that's a whole nother story
0: yeah yeah Um, but that's kind of the thing that i'm most stoked about um with my lab is finally having the time well, I'm not going to have time. My students are going to have time to look <laughs> into how fishes eat fruit. Um, yeah. And I could talk more about why this is important from a broader perspective. I um, know. So
1: oh, yeah, I was going to that was going to be my question. Like, how does that impact like the functionality of the entire ecosystem? Because it sounds like, yeah, kind of, like helping the ecosystem maintain itself like they're, discer- they're dispersing the seeds it's also weird thinking about fish eating fruit in the first place yeah it's clear that they're really involved in the maintenance of the ecosystem
0: yeah they absolutely are and we've only really started to think about this over the last like 40 years because that's when Goulding finally put out his work but really only in the last like maybe 10 to 20 have we really started to realize how important um, fishes are as seed dispersers um, especially in places like the Amazon right so <clears throat> the Amazon floods um, and that allows like the fishes to travel kind of deep into the fo- deep into like the forests and of course if you're eating the fruit and you're gonna pass the seeds um, these things you know poop the seeds out and then as the water the waters recede Um, The seeds have now traveled away from their parent plant, and they get a chance to sort of grow in a place um, where they don't have to compete with the parent. right? And it's really cool, some great work um, by by a collaborator of mine, um, Sandra Correa, has found that um, some of the seeds have evolved so that they won't even germinate, they won't even start to grow unless they pass through the gut of the fish. Now that's crazy. Right? <laughs> so, so that's a crazy example of the co evolution of the plant and the fish, right? In the same way that we would talk, talk about, you know, uh, how clownfish uh, live in the sea and net, net, and, 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 and stuff, right? And how they have sort of co evolved through this, um, uh, through what we call like, what we call a, 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 a mutualism right yeah um and yeah so what's been really interesting lately um that some folks have found is that you know these big pakus can migrate quite a long way up and down the amazon um, and other parts of south america too and so they can disperse these seeds across thousands of kilometers Um, but they're also extremely important food fishes. They're huge. So that one fish can feed a lot of pe- pe- people. And so they're in high demand. And some research has shown that removal of those fit, fit, fit fishes in an unsustainable way has led to the collapse of some of these seed dispersal-like networks. Um, and so some of those fit fish fishes are uh, like farmed and raised, so that's a good, so you can sort of like offset um, some of the loss of like the wild fishes, Yeah. Um, but that's a concern. Um, and so what I'm hoping, not that my research will really directly um, teach us a lot about that, but I think we will sort of show, um, you know, what kind of fruits are these fishes able to eat, what size fruits, um, there's an interesting thing where, some of these fishes are seed dispersers and others are seed predators so they might actually consume the seeds too and so trying to figure out like what are the teeth and jaws that c- characterize like a seed predator versus a seed disperser is kind of an interesting thing to think about um, and so that's kind of where we're hoping to sort of um, you know fall in all of this um, in a in a very um, and' kind of like large yeah, collaborative <laughs> yeah yeah um, So yeah, I mean I think there's just such an interesting study system. Um, and of course, there's some interesting sides to this too where some of the plants that they distribute um, are very culturally and economically not, not important for like the, re- the regions too so um the, the rubber tree, which is what we use to get non-synthetic rub, 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 rubber, yeah. rub, rubber from is actually dispersed by these fishes um if you're in the Amazon um you know there's there's uh, lots of tribes who use um, kind of these herbal um like melanges um so you've heard of like ayahuasca um it's like a you know a mixture of herbs that folks will use to go um, sort of get in touch with uh, the divine, get in touch with themselves, that sort of stuff. Um, turns out that one of the key um, ingredients of that herbal mixture um, is a plant that's distributed by by these fit, 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 fit fish, right? So not only are they important as primary food fit fishes to those communities in and of themselves, they're also important to the not ecosystem really. and they're important from the cult, you know the, the cultural standpoint too, um, and you know I think I think this should just make us think about how important kind of all these little parts of the ecosystem are, um, in ways that we really can't predict or think about, um, just because everything is so interwoven. Wo- you know, I was
1: gonna say it's so intricate you can't really pinpoint how taking one thing out is gonna okay. affect the entire thing.
0: Yeah yeah um and i guess the last point that i'll make is is that even though people are pretty familiar i think with like mammals and birds spreading seeds and like i said before like our understanding of how fishes have have done this has really only bloomed in the last like 10 to 20 years maybe 40 years at the most um these pop 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 um, these fruit-eating fishes, um, we actually found predate a lot of the um, the arrival of primate groups in South America, um, and the origin of a lot of bird groups that actually spread these seeds too. So, in fact, fishes probably were some of the first seed dispersers um, before you know the groups that we're more like fam- you know fam- familiar, familiar with now, yeah. are around. Right? So. Um, and it's crazy to me that we had no clue that this was happening, or at least, you know, the Western world and Western science, um, up into you know within our like lifespan, um, which is unreal. Uh, and of course, I you know I think that that really speaks to how important it is to um, incorporate like indigenous, not 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 knowledge into what we do, right? Um, and uh, yeah. So anyway, cool fish, cool story. <laughs> Uh, cool fruits. I'll <laughs> <pause> there.
1: <laughs> What's another, like, what do you think is the most, like, unique adaptation that you've seen throughout any species of animal, anything? Or what are your top three, actually?
0: <laughs> My top three animals? Yeah, um, that have these unique adaptations. Unique adaptations. I love hyenas. Um, I've always loved hyenas. I have no idea why. I think they're just super cool. Um, they are, you know, built for crushing stuff, right? And so, uh, you know, various type, kinds of dogs, bears, some cats can crush bone, but hyenas specialize to some extent on being able to crush the hardest parts of, of, scavenge of a scavenger of a kill. Um, and so if you actually look at the engineering behind, um, well, the engineering that explains how their skulls have evolved to be shaped a certain way. They have these really big foreheads, and the foreheads actually help uh, distribute the stresses that are transmitted from the prey to the teeth to the jaws. And then they're kind of distributed over the whole skulls so that there's not one point of the jaw or teeth or skeleton that's getting too much force applied to it. Um, so I mean that's kind of a weird, I mean, you know, I'm a fish guy and like no, but <laughs> I eat it's really cool, but. Hyenas inspire me a lot about um, in terms of how animals crush hard stuff. Um, What's another good example. Um, I mean, you know, I'm always fascinated by convergence. And I think, uh, you know, the idea that totally unrelated groups of animals can um, evolve similar structures that perform sort of a similar task. Mm and so for instance, you know, um, everybody knows that like chickens have g- gizzards. Right. And so it's this like, uh, it's, it's a, it's a mu- mu- muscular part of the GI tract that is usually filled with like grit with small stones and sand and stuff that yeah. helps like ch- chickens grind, uh, you know, seeds and, and plant plant parts. Um, and the teeth. Turns out, yeah, they don't have teeth, and so the gizzard kind of fills the role of of, um, of a grinding, uh, like what we would call uh, what would, what we would call like a triturating um, like structure. Yeah. Um, turns out, fishes have those too. So, um, you know, if you lived in the panhandle of Florida, you probably grew up eating the gizzard from m- m- mullet. Um, and uh, but they're not the only fish that have them as well. Like if you see like herring or shad, few species have that too. Um, so I think it's really interesting whenever you see these really wild um, convergences between drastically different groups of animals, right? And I think just as a plug for some of the other work that we're doing in the lab, um, right now I work with, uh, you know, the betas and garamis. So these are the fishes you'll find in any Petco, PetSmarts Pet like stories, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, the dumb, sad fishes that are in bowls. Um, yeah. And one of the reasons why they're in bowls is because they're hard for poor fish parents er, to kill. Um, and part of why that is is because they have this organ in the back of their skull um, called uh, called called the labyrinth. That's kind of like a like a bony lung. Um, it's an air breathing structure that lets them breathe from like the surface. Um, And it's wild. Um, Whenever you look at it, it's this uh, it's this very very thin um, bony structure that's that's housed in this kind of like bubble like chamber, and that bony structure is covered with really thin um, uh, tissue that's packed with like arteries and veins and things like that that help with gas exchange. Yeah, and. You know essentially these things live or can live in like a p- p- puddle and be totally content even when no other fish can live in there because there's not enough dissolved oxygen, oxygen. To breathe for their gills yeah. yeah and in fact um you know there have been studies that they basically shown that because these fish depend on breathing air so much they've actually reduced the sort of investment that they have in their gills and so if you actually block um some species of karamis and stuff from reaching the surface you can drown them which is obviously not a nice thing to do and you shouldn't yeah. do it um but it's crazy uh i think to well i mean i think it's just surprising to think that a fish can drown yeah 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 so, so those are some weird examples I guess, of <laughs> structures. Yeah.
1: those are really cool though it's like you, there's so much stuff and this is why i love doing this because i just learned so much stuff that I don't know, but I can relate it to different stuff that I'm doing, and then also share it. I love it though.
0: <laughs> good, good. good. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, and again, that's what got me interested in fishes because, you know, I I tell my students all the time: there's 35,000 species of fishes. If you're interested in something, climbing, flying, burrowing, whatever, eating hard stuff. Odds are there's a fish that do it. There's a fish that does that specifically. (laughs) And moreover, odds are there's more than one group of fishes that do it, which makes it a better kind of evolutionary experiment for you to kind of see what they share alike. Um, uh, And the funny thing about that now, now that I'm in a paleo museum, is not only are there fishes that do that thing and a bunch of groups that have done it, there's also fishes that are extinct that probably did it too um and we just don't really know that much about them so yeah. it's uh just a just a great group of animals um especially if you i don't know like weird stuff <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and, i do
1: <laughs> but thank you so much for joining me on this episode of teach me and sharing all your your deep breadth of knowledge on this subject it was great yeah. fun That's as
0: well yeah <laughs>
1: yeah um but um, what were you
0: gonna Sorry, say? go ahead. Oh, uh, like say? I was just gonna have a bit of a shout-out, if that's okay. Um folks might have heard that I uh heard that I stutter. Um and I just want to say that you can be a scientist, you can still teach and things if you have uh, you know, like a hearing, um, a hearing or like a fluency disorder. Um and um, you know, I'm really proud to uh like I wouldn't I wouldn't have known that i've gotten this far unless i had a prof who actually uh, who also had like a stammer um and so uh i just want to put that out there for folks to know
1: shout out you for doing that <laughs> shout out <laughs> you and this was great this was great um it was but, fun. yeah again thank you so much i'm gonna get you on a episode of the through jeremiah's eyes the main uh, segment as well at some point, but. Thank you so much for your time, and I hope everybody enjoyed, learned something new today, and I hope that you check out the next episode for another episode of Teach Me.
0: Awesome. Thanks.